Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. The Apostle John speaks of the Antichrist in his first epistle to believers, where he says this, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. First John two eighteen through 19, that's the New King James Version. John reminded readers about 2,000 years ago that they were at the time living in the last hour. Now, obviously, the word hour cannot be specifically referring to a literal 60-minute period of time. It speaks more generally of an age and specifically the end of that age. Now, the first physical coming of Jesus signaled the last hour or end times, the beginning of the end times. During John's day, he was being accurate when he stated that the actual end was coming, and there were a few signs to look for to verify that fact. Now, many people who stood against Jesus, and they are collectively called individual antichrists, they came and went during John's day. Jesus warned that during the end of the end times, we would see many false messiahs or antichrists, Matthew 24. But there would clearly be one particular individual who would stand out above the others and actually be the one scripture refers to as the Antichrist, as noted by the Apostle John above. And Paul also mentions him, calling him the man of sin, perdition, or lawlessness, depending on your translation, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 12. And of course, Jesus refers not to the man specifically, only indirectly when he refers to the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24 too, because that's what he causes. Now, Yuval Noah Harari is one of the World Economic Forum founder and director Klaus Schwab's top advisors. Harari says what Schwab, I'm sure, believes, but won't say so that he can come across as simply concerned about the earth and the people or stakeholder capitalists that are living here. Harari is Jewish, gay, and an avowed atheist, and he also considers himself to be a critical thinker, and he opines on a variety of topics while not shying away from dropping negative comments about God. Some of the things Harari has recently stated are the following. Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God is fake news. Another thing he said on August 12th is the world doesn't need so many people and most are useless. Uh, on August 18th, he's recorded to have said, we don't need some God in the clouds handing down tablets, the Ten Commandments, because we've created our own cloud, the Internet cloud, and our own tablets, computers. There is no truth, only power, and humans prefer power. He also said that on August 18th. And he said other things like, God is dead, it just takes a while to get rid of the body, or words to that effect. And in essence, Harari has no difficulty attacking people by attacking the belief systems they hold near and dear, and ultimately, he's attacking God. The idea that God exists is anathema to Harari, and he wants everyone to know it. He brags about it. 
his attitude, his demeanor. It's very arrogant. We don't know what this final Antichrist will look like or who he will be, nor do we know exactly when he will appear on the world stage. But we know this, he will be a man. He will most likely be an atheist. And it seems to me that he will be Jewish. Although in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, we read that, quote, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the temple, unquote, possibly signifying that this particular prince will be Gentile or Roman, since the people who literally destroyed the temple uh, in AD 70 were Roman soldiers. Now, this fact does not negate, by the way, the possibility that the Antichrist could be Jewish. Herod was part Jewish and part Gentile. He would work within the Jewish community, but at the same time could work with people outside the Jewish community equally as well. Herod's Jewishness was likely part of the reason he expanded the Temple Mount and beautified the temple, which was later called Herod's Temple, that stood during Jesus's time. Now, I'm not sure Jewish leaders of Israel today would necessarily trust and accept a Gentile Antichrist, though it's possible. I think Jews would be more inclined to fall in line behind a Jewish Antichrist, one that they would consider their Messiah, with more of a willingness to enter into a covenant agreement with surrounding Arab nations. A strictly Gentile leader attempting to negotiate a seven-year agreement with Israel and the surrounding nations might have a much harder time convincing Jews to sign on the dotted line. Now, of course, I do not know, and I want to emphasize this, I don't know if Harari is actually the coming Antichrist. I'm simply pointing out that he tends to fit at least some of the bill in numerous ways. The Antichrist will end up conquering politically as he rises to the top of the heap, Revelation 6.1. We see this as the opening of the sixth seal as this person rides in on a white horse. Paul tells us this same Antichrist will do something that causes dismay throughout the Jewish world and sets the stage at the middle of the tribulation for the final three and a half years. Here's what Paul says. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So in the above passage I just read, from 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-4, Paul notes that our gathering together to him, likely referring to the rapture prior to the tribulation, cannot occur until several things happen. The falling away comes, verse 2. The man of sin is revealed, verse 4. The removal of restraint of lawlessness, verse 8. Now, Paul's reference to Christians being gathered together to Jesus goes back to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, where Paul specifically discusses the subject of the rapture. The day of the Lord is different from the day of the, ra of the rapture, as the day of the Lord is the time of judgment by God, and that period includes the seven-year tribulation period. Now, some people 
during Paul's day were teaching that this day of the Lord had already begun. And this rightly upset the Thessalonian believers because they assumed that they missed the rapture. As Dr. Thomas, Thomas Constable notes, there is a huge difference between the belief that Jesus could come at any moment versus the belief that Jesus would come at any moment. The former could come is the correct definition of imminent. Christians should live as though Jesus might come back to take us and could come back to take us at any moment. It is the same to believe that at any moment we could physically die. We don't know the day or hour of our deaths, and because of that, we should live accordingly. All too often, though, we live as though we are going to be here for quite some time yet, and we'll die only when we're very old. But far too many people never make it to old age because they are simply there are simply way too many ways to die in this life. People often become confused regarding the rapture of the church and the tribulation or second coming because they fail to distinguish between the perusia and what is called the day of the Lord. Now, the perusia or coming is when our Lord appears, the appearing of our Lord, and can refer to the Lord's coming to rapture the church or his second coming at the end of the tribulation. The only way to determine what is meant is by context. And here, Paul is speaking about the rapture of the church, followed by the tribulation period of seven years. Within premillennialism, the rapture is separate from the day of the Lord and is believed to precede the coming tribulation. I realize that there are numerous camps of people who believe the rapture is part of the tribulation, either mid or post, but I'm speaking of the premillennial camp here. If we consider the three things noted above in the list I gave you that cannot occur, according to Paul, neither the rapture or the day of the Lord, which ushers in God's judgment of the tribulation, then we have a better handle on exactly how things will play out. So going back to Dr. Con Thomas Constable, he believes Paul listed the three things he listed in logical order. That was the falling away, the man of sin is revealed, and the removal of restraint of lawlessness. So he believes those were listed in logical order rather than chronological order. In other words, though the removal of restraint of lawlessness is listed by Paul last, verse 8, it doesn't necessarily follow that it will happen last. In order for lawlessness to have free reign in the world, it seems clear that the church must be removed from the earth first. Now, I've said this in numerous articles and books. Imagine the result of millions of people being instantly removed from the earth one at one point. When? Who knows? But imagine that taking place. Millions of people literally disappear. All Christians, babies children under the age of accountability and adults who are Christian will be gone in the moment or twinkling of an eye. Consider the ramifications of such an event. Well, right now in the world, the Holy Spirit works in and through the church to restrain evil. Certainly evil is ramping up throughout the earth, but with the church still here, evil cannot be thoroughly evil because the presence of the Holy Spirit through the church keeps that evil in check. However, there will come a day when that evil that is now kept in check will have nothing in its way. Nothing 
Nothing will be keeping that evil from becoming full-blown evil. Once the church is gone, evil will literally be allowed to fill the church with its foul, hellish thoughts, words, and actions. It's difficult to imagine such a world, but we are coming to that, folks. This is what really is the Great Reset. Just look at how much is able to happen now, even with the church still here. So we're currently seeing a the falling away that Paul mentions about, and it's taking place throughout the earth, and it has been happening for a while. This falling away is the abandonment of a previously held belief or position. The term deconversion is something you're probably familiar with, and it's becoming well known today within Christendom as many Christian leaders are and have deconverted and left the faith. And the falling away includes that as well as those who have been thought to have been authentic Christians, just normal people, but for one reason or another, have also walked away. They now embrace the world system, and often that includes atheism, or at least agnosticism. Now, once the rapture occurs, leaving the world in a pitiful state, you can imagine, I hope, millions and millions of people gone, leaders will rise up to begin calming all who are left. The New Age movement has been teaching for over 70 years that at some point aliens will whisk millions of malcontents, that's their words, off this earth to take them to another planet where they can spiritually evolve at their own pace. Now, in doing so, they will no longer keep the earth from evolving spiritually because they won't be in the way to do that. These malcontents, of course, are Christians. So, just when it seems the world has gone truly haywire with an event that removes millions of people from this earth and the resultant shock experienced those by those left behind, the world will desperately need a savior. And the great reset that even Klaus Schwab has not envisioned will really take place then. And that will that savior, by the way, who leads that great reset will be none other than the Antichrist. He will unite all remaining people under his thumb. He will be a calming voice in the midst of growing upheaval. Will it be Harari? I have no idea. But we can bet it will be someone like him who has no problem and actually lives to blaspheme God by glorifying himself. Well, that's our episode for today, and I do thank you for joining me. And until we meet again, pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 